week, we are in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 is an interesting chapter. Uh, like I said, the last few weeks, uh, we read the, the, the Bible chapter and verse. It's not how it was written, um, but it's... Uh, but how it was written was in letter format. So first Peter writes a book, uh, writes a, a note to a letter to the, the church and he sends it off. And then all of these things get compiled in church history, canonized through uh, uh, meetings of some amazing men and uh, men in the ch- uh, church. They get together and they say, this is what the Bible is going to look like after prayer and, uh, and seeking God. And then to help people get the idea of how to break it down, then they start breaking it into chapter and verse. And so this idea that, you know, it's like, well, it's, you know, chapter two stopped here and chapter three started here. The way he wrote it would have been just continual. And so when you read it, sometimes you're like, wait a minute. When, so wait, why did it begin? Anybody ever read the beginning of a chapter and go, why did it begin there? Well, that's because that's just where they decided that's a good pause. Let's put a chapter three there. And you know, it makes more sense when I, when I read the first few uh, uh, lines in First Peter uh, 3. So this chapter deals with relationships, married ones and church ones, okay? So maybe you're sitting there and you're going, I'm not married, so how is this first half of this chapter going to work for me? Well, because if you have plans on getting married or if you ever want to know what a good marriage looks like, Peter kind of dives into that. Church ones where he talks about uh, how as Christians we are to respond to people and, and, and live and act. Then at the end of this uh, chapter, he kind of gives this call to uh, what it looks like to live a worshipful and God-centered life in front of others. And so it kind of feels like all over the place, this chapter, it's kind of like a hodgepodge. It starts with husbands and wives, and then he's like, hey, all you Christians, and then he's like, hey, listen, here's what a good godly lifestyle. He just like throws a whole bunch of stuff in together. But the important part that we kind of see in 1 Peter 3 is how we hardest to model good behavior to those that we are the closest to. It's, it's, it's challenging. Like, it's easy, if I don't know you, to treat you well. Because I don't know you. I, I, I'm, I'm cordial, right? I'm just, I'm cordial with you. And if I know you really well, now you know my ins and outs. You know my flaws. You know my struggles. And so, all of a sudden, now I feel like it's, like, you know my past, and I know yours. And so, that's why it, when we talk about marriages, a lot of times, it's, it is one of the hardest relationships to build spiritually because we are constantly either looking at our flaws or we looking at their flaws to dictate future behaviors. And the Bible talks a lot about what it looks like as husband and wife to hold God center and foremost in our lives. So Peter makes the, the first call he makes is, is to the wives. He talks to the wives first and then he talks to the husbands. And I want all of us to listen um, to what he has to say, because I think sometimes we get really religious with what it, you know, the roles of husband and wife, right? Um, you know, we get really, it, you know, it's like, it, it, we could have a lot of grace in a lot of areas, but then it gets to this husband and wife conversation. It's like, wife, the Bible says submit. Submit. Do, you, do we need to read the definition of submit wife so that you understand what that word means? And, uh, ooh, easy, Chris, you better. Nope. And then we get to the the husbands, and we just kind of let them go. Like, and and can I tell you that we, it's, it's husband's honor. Well, I am honoring. I am respecting by, by, by uh, bringing home the money and taking care of the family. And I believe that the Bible has this really great explanation to husband and wives that if we get it, and the key word is if 
we get it. Not through a cultural lens, not through um, a, a Western civilization lens, not through um, our view of what we've seen other marriages, but through a biblical view of what God is actually calling us as husband and wife to do. So this is not about knowing your role today. I'm not wives. I'm not going to tell you what your role is. Husbands, I'm not going to tell you what your role is. I want you to hear God's word, and I want you to seek him and what his word says. So wives, let's talk to you first, okay? 1 Peter 3, and, and right out the gate, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4, he talks to the wives. He says, in the same way. Now, this is the interesting part, right? In the same way. This is the way the chapter starts out. In the same way of what? In the same way. This is the beginning of the chapter, so you've got to go back to chapter 2 to see how it ended, right? And last week we ended where he's saying that God is the guardian of our soul. He's saying that God is the, the holder of our soul. He is the one that we long for and we run to. And, it's, and so he's writing to the wives and he's saying, in the same way that we long for, for God to be the guardian of our soul, as we long for God to be the protector and the overseer of our lives, in the same way, wives, you must accept the authority of your husbands. So we have to understand that this isn't about authoritarian. This isn't about um, who, you know, oh, the man is the, the, the last end-all, end be-all of the house. It is that he is like, he is the God nature of that relationship in the marriage. It says you must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And we get this so regulated there are whole religions that say, ladies, you can't wear makeup and do your hair and, and look pretty because that's what the Bible says. And, and, and what I want to help you break down today is what does the Bible actually say about that? What does the Bible really say and what is the value of what Peter is writing to the wives of the church? So let's break it down, okay? So, like I said, in the same way, he's saying that you remember where we left off, talking about Jesus guarding our souls, and that husbands, the authority of God is given to the husbands in the marriage to guide and lead their family well. It is not about do as I say. It is not about I'm the law of the land. It is about... I want to have the heartbeat of God as a father and as a husband to lead my family the way that God would want me to lead. Husbands have the authority in the marriage, but it is not to beat down and to abuse that authority. Husband's authority when putting the relationship, family, and God before him will always protect, guide, guard, selfishly lead for the betterment of the unit. A true husband is going to protect through his authority. He's going to guard through his authority. 
It's, it's, it's not, I am the man, listen to me roar. It is, I have a, I have a God-given mandate to protect this house, and you will have to go through me to get to my kids and my wife. And not just in a put them up, let's fight. But what about on our knees? Praying for our families. Being in our word. Knowing the truth so that we can guide and lead our kids to, to truth and knowledge. And so that authority isn't to be a scary, fearful authority. It is, it is for women to honor and respect knowing that their husband, but here's the coolest part, in that he also talks about what if your husband doesn't believe in God? Now, the Bible says don't be, uh, uh, don't be unequally yoked, right? But sometimes you get into a marriage and one person gets saved and the other person doesn't. You, you don't go get divorced. The Bible says, uh, as, as Peter is writing, he says, um, then even if some refuse to obey the good news. He's talking about husbands. He's saying, listen, wives, if you follow God and then your husband doesn't and some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. So, Siri doesn't understand why wives shouldn't, uh, should be certain living a certain way. But, Thank you, Siri. You're not supposed to. AI, it's scary. Um, so, but here's the thing. So, and, and, I've, and I've talked with, I've had a lot of friends and, and, and different people in the church where the wives would go to church and then the husbands uh, weren't. And they say, well, what can I say to my husband to get him to believe? Can I tell you the answer is nothing? The, the answer, you, there's not enough words for you to say to bring somebody to Jesus, to, to beg them to Jesus. Your, your livelihood. Like, do you honor him even in his ungodliness? Do you honor him in, even in when he refuses to go to church with you? Do you honor him and, and pray for him? And, and the, the whole life application to this is, is tremendous because what about your unsaved friends? What about your unsaved coworkers? What about your unsaved bosses? Do you honor and respect them in their lives instead of trying to beg and plead and get them to church? Do we just show them what it looks like to live Jesus out to the world and just say, hey, listen, my life is going to be a way better example than anything I could beg and plead. Listen, it's okay to invite. Hey, man, will you come to church with me? And then it's okay to just leave it there. I think sometimes we feel like we got to do Jesus's job in salvation. Our job is to get to, to have this conversation, to, to engage in conversation. My job is not to beg, plead, borrow, and steal. Man, if I buy you lunch to, uh, on Sunday, will you come to church? Which isn't a bad idea. Get them there, then go feed them. Cool. But don't think that it's going to get them saved. The, the Bible says to the wives, but really it's a, a, uh, an example to all of us that our godly lives will lead them and show them and speak to them without ever having to use any words. And then he says, they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. We should live to love people like Jesus. Peter states, if you're in a marriage with someone who's not a follower, they will be won by observing you, not by hearing you. What a, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. Because we think this is a very, and it is a powerful tool, but this isn't the most powerful tool. This 
is the most beautiful, powerful tool by how we live our lives, how, how we engage with people, how we show them Jesus, even in the toughest of times in our lives or when we are walking through uh, seasons where everybody goes, why do you even go to church? Why do you still follow God? And you're like, well, look, I'm telling you, he's here, like he's real and he's ever present and you just continue to live your life. And he says this to the wives because I think that God knew that the men would be the harder people to get in the church. Now, there's some really uh, interesting statistics about that that, um, that I, I won't fully go into today, but the reality, I was just reading one that said that if, if a husband starts going to church, if a father starts going to church, 82% of his household will get saved. 82 so is there, there's a, a, a vast importance for the men to have a relationship with Jesus. And not just go to church, but, but to have a, a, a longing, driving heart for God. And so we, he talks to the wives about, listen, live your life. Do what you, you do. But, we, but not in just nagging and speaking to uh, your husband, but to living it out. How many have seen the, the movie Fireproof? And to me, it's a, it, it was at the beginning when Christian movies started to get good, if that makes any sense, because there's a lot of like, you know, corny Christian movies. Uh, and that's just being real, no hate. But, uh, but Fireproof, uh, it had this beautiful picture of a marriage that was struggling and about to just fail. And he was addicted to pornography. He was addicted to financial money. He was, he was about to get into, um, a, uh, you know, into an area where he was going to cheat on his wife. And his dad hands him this book and says, just do this for 40 days. Just follow the game plan for 40 days. And he, he, he did it begrudgingly. For you, dad, I'll do it. And so he begrudgingly does it, and every day it's, it's, it's working on something, right? Go buy her flowers, clean the kitchen. And he's like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Why would, she doesn't even care if I go buy her flowers. She doesn't want flowers from me. She, wants, she, she doesn't care if I do this. And, and yet he continually does it and realizes that it's really not even about her. It was about working his heart out. And so this idea that as he works through his heart, it was never about her in the first place. It was about his place in the relationship and how he had pushed her away and pushed his heart away. And these challenges brought his heart back to her. We should love people like Jesus wants us to. Then he says this, and, and, and I think this is always an interesting conversation Peter talks about the, uh, how you present yourselves as wives and women, right? He says, don't be concerned about the outer look. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, ladies, let me tell you this. This is not a ploy to get you to not look nice and dress up, okay? That's not at all. So any, if anybody ever tells you, you know, it's ungodly and unbiblical to dress up and look nice, that's wrong. It's wrong. That is not what, what Peter was writing. That's not what they're saying in this. What, what was happening culturally was that uh, there was a, a look that was dressed up and full of gold and all these things. And, and what happened was is they, they, they were dressing like the harlots of their culture. 
You know, they were, they were looking just like the culture. They were dressing like, like women who were up to no good and, and sinful nature. And so Peter is addressing not necessarily just how they look, but the heart behind why, right? And my number one thing with everything I talk about is what is the motive behind what you do? What is the, because your motive will tell you whether if you are lining up with God or whether you're not. And so Peter is addressing this. He's saying, what is the motive for looking nice? What is the motive for why you dress this way? Because, because the harlots look this way. The, the, the women who are, are, are trying to be lewd, they're the ones that are dressing like this. And so you don't want to just look like that. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, Rachel dressed nice. A lot of the uh, Esther said she was the most beautiful woman dressed in beautiful gold. So it was about culturally what he was addressing. And so like, let's, let's address culture, right? Don't, you know, well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else wears it. This is what's in right now. None of those are good, good arguments in the church, ever. They should never be any good arguments in your Christian walk. Well, everybody's okay with this, but it's Jesus. And I'll say this, wives, and you can take it for what it is, or ladies in general. I don't care if everybody else is okay with it. When my wife got married, she didn't marry everybody else. She married me. So she doesn't care if the rest of the world thinks it's acceptable or unacceptable. She cares what I think. That's it. Now, I don't dictate fashion to my wife. Jeans and T-shirts, that's what I am, right? But I don't dictate fashion, but, and, and my wife is, is very modest and, and, and very great at, at choosing, so it's not something I would ever really have to address. But I know that if I did, she would understand that it's coming from a guarded protection of my wife and using my very seldom used authority in a proper place. Modesty is the key. Your body is not a tool of womanhood, despite what culture would like to tell you to be used however you want it. God made it to honor him and for your spouse. That's it. Your body is an honoring temple of Jesus. And, and it is to honor him, and it is, it is made and designed for, for, uh, for you and your, your spouse, not for the rest of the world to go, I am woman, hear me roar. So why is Peter, uh, what Peter is more importantly saying here is women be more focused on what's inside within you, the character of Christ in you, your maternal and feminine godly spirit that produces a gentle and quiet spirit, a peaceful, soothing, focused spirit. It's not don't worry about dressing up and looking nice. I love when my wife dresses up. I love it. I love taking, you know, about once or twice a year, I'll take her out. And I'm like, man, I love when she feels just, just completely dressed up and looking nice and ready to be, you know, just taken out on a date. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong if, you're, if your natural character is to want to feel dressed up and, 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 and look a certain way. That's like saying that people that just wear jeans and T-shirts are slobs. They can be. But that doesn't mean that just wearing jeans and T-shirts makes you a slob. And so dressing up doesn't make you any certain way. And so anybody that in the church that says, well, can you believe she's wearing that? The Bible says that we're supposed to be modest in our appearance. We're not supposed to wear jewelry and ornaments. I would say, what was the culture of that time? And what's the culture of our time? 
And are we addressing a cultural issue or a spiritual issue? And asking, what is the motive why we're doing this? Are we trying to get attention? Or are we more focused on what's inside of us? And that's what Peter is addressing to the the wives. Be more focused on the beauty within, because beauty fades. Getting old sucks. Amen. I listen. Listen. Getting old is is it, listen. It is. It's tough. Um, and and so. It, but here's the thing. You can't stop it. Right. You can't stop age. You, just just go to the beach and try to grab as big a handful of sand. Can you stop every piece of sand from falling? No. And so it's gonna fall. It's not something you can stop. Age isn't something you can stop. So the beauty that you so long for or love it when you're 20, right? I was showing Cole um, pictures of, uh, and, and Jessica was there uh, yesterday. I was showing pictures of me and Stephanie at 20 years old when we got married. We looked like babies because we were babies. We're celebrating 20 years in July. And, uh, but we looked straight out, because well, we were straight out of high school, but we, we looked it. And I don't feel as old as, as, as I probably am age-wise, but when I look at that picture, I go, who is that guy? Because when I look in the mirror, I don't see him anymore, but I feel like I feel 20. I feel like I could do what that guy did, but, but it feels different. And so I want to pass on not my, my looks to people because that, nobody cares about that. I want to pass on what the character of God in me to the next generation, to my children, to my family and friends. And that's what he's addressing with the wives. Your maternal, your, your, your ability to have the beauty within the quiet spirit that passes on to other people, peacefulness. So wives, it's not about know your role and serve it well. It's about know the God in you and serve your families well. Serve your, your, your if you're married, serve your husband well. If you're not married, pray for that person. One of the greatest things that my youth pastor ever uh, told us was, was don't pray for a person, pray for the character of that person. Because that, that listen, there, you could think you know who that person is, and, and it's not who God has for you. But pray for the character. What is it that you want in a, in a spouse and start praying for them? And then the, the flip side of that is, God, make, make, prepare my heart to be that person. All right, husbands, it's your turn. So, he says this to the wives, and then he gives one scripture to the husbands. <laughs> he gives four to the wives, gives a whole little nice little in-depth kind of thought process. Then he gets to the husband, and he's like, here's one, here's one verse for you guys. So here's it is, 1 Peter 3, 7. It says this, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Now, what, here's that in the same way. So in other words, in everything that I just told, told to the wives, in that same manner, in that same heart, I want you to give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So, there's a lot said in that one little verse, and, 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 and it says, in the same way. In other words, just as your wife is called to respect you, honor you, follow you, you need to honor her and lead from a biblically mandated position of husbandry. I know that's not a word, but I made it up. It's an action. Being a husband, it's like being a man. Anybody can be, anybody can be a father. Something is be a daddy. Anybody can be married. But it's, it's something special to be a husband, to be that spouse that God has called you to be. 
And he says, in the same way that the wives are to honor and respect you, I want you to honor your wives in a way that, that shows them loyalty and love and care. Treat your wives with understanding. <laughs> I don't even re- really understand all of that. Like, I want you to, th- I, sat on this, I sat on this one line for a while. Treat your wives with understanding. And maybe it's because I'm a husband that I was really digging deep trying to figure it out. Like, what does that mean? Like, I want to I wanna be able to give this wisdom to my guys, uh, my husbands in the room. But God, what is it, like, how do we, like, what does it mean to treat, because here's, here's what I was afraid of, that God was going to reveal something to me that I'd probably been doing something wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I sat there and I just thought about this. And this is what God showed me. Make decisions together. Honor and value her voice. Value her voice. Watch her trust your decision-making when you value her thought process in the marriage. Don't just assume or overlook the role and job she does to just keep the family running. Understand her side of things. It made me think of uh, my friends in California, Sean and Diana Nepstead, who are uh, pastors at a, a big church there, and they've got four daughters. And I remember um, specifically being in a service where Diana was speaking, and, and she said this, and she goes, I, I felt lost sometimes in motherhood because I was raising our four kids and watching my husband do great things. And I wondered her that, her, where's my purpose? until it finally clicked to her that her greatest purpose was raising her four girls to love Jesus and to be there and to show them what a godly woman looks like. And in that season, that was her greatest role as a, as a, as a wife and mother. And what was great about Sean was that he always was there to champion that instead of put that down. And I've been, I know I've been caught at times, and, and I think every husband is, you know, you, you, you think, well, why isn't this done? Or why isn't this done around the house? Or why isn't, you know, and, and we, we, we break it down to P's and Q's and must-have-dones and checklists and, and all of those things. And we forget that, that as wives, there's a maternal, uh, motherly aspect that they take care of the kids differently than we will ever. Amen, guys? Like, I listen, uh, just being honest. Moms take care of children way differently and probably and I, I, way better, maybe-ish. That's a, I don't want to like, be, I'm getting some head nod show. Uh, you know, listen, because, because guys are more of a, uh, uh, here's do's and don'ts and listen, or is it broken? Okay, then walk away, shake it off, you know. And moms are like, they've got a whole checklist of emotional things that they're walking through as well. And I'm like, who cares? Like, just, you're, you're good. And, and so we, we as husbands... Don't just run the family or our marriage through our eyes, but get it through your wife's eyes. Ask them, how'd you see that? One of the things that was challenging for me was, was I, don't, I don't get like mad. I don't get angry. I don't, you know, but I'll, I'll, ch- I'll use my voice to be stern, right? Right? Okay. You have that dad voice, okay? Okay, I've had enough. Here it is. There, there's my voice. It's not that I'm mad. It's just it goes up and it, and it you know, it's a, it's aggressive, but it's not mad. And and Stephanie came to me and said, "Watch your tone." And I said, "My tone? What are you talking about? I'll show you tone." Um, and 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 I said, "What are you even talking about?" She goes, "It's not what you're saying. What you're saying is right. It's how you're saying." It. And I'm like, "My brain doesn't compute." The, the brain is like, I'm like, listen, if what I'm saying is, is right, then my tone is there for a reason. 
She's like, no, watch your tone. And, and listen, I'm, I'm stubborn and hard. <laughs> Some of y'all get it. Um, listen, and, and here's the thing is that my brain literally couldn't compute. So for a long time, I'm like, I don't understand what this means, like my tone. And so like, I'm trying different things when I'm talking and I'm like, okay, is this better? Is this? And then one day it just, she came and she goes, it's, you're doing a lot better. Yes. I found my tone. You know, so now when, when I try to address things, I just try to address it in, a, in just a calmer voice. What I've said has not changed, by the way, but how I've said it. And if my wife, if I didn't listen to my wife, I would have just said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you, you're a woman. You deal with them the way you're going to deal with them. I'm going to deal with them my way, which, by the way, ends a lot of marriages. But I listened to her. I trusted her understanding. I love that Peter talks about the women being weaker. Don't get mad at me, women, because it's actually I'm out on your side. He says, she may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Ladies, this should be an amen moment for each and every one of you because what God is addressing is that we were made physically different, but in the marriage covenant, we are equal partners. This is not a, a me above you because I've got the authority as the husband. It's that I couldn't do this without you. And though we all have our strengths, we all have our purposes within the marriage, I know that I couldn't run this house and I couldn't do what I'm called to do as the husband or the father without you by my side. And you are my equal in what we are doing. Men, we have a partner, not an employee. And I'll say it like that because sometimes we treat it as transactional. If you do this, I will do that. If you don't do this, this will not happen. If you, and, and listen, I'm not, I can't save any marriage from marriage counseling because I think that it's very good that those kind of things work. Um, these are the kind of conversations me and Stephanie have. Because when, when, when we're not clicking on all cylinders spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically, it typically comes back to something's not being done, so something's not happening. Then we get butt hurt, right? And, and, and I can just speak from a man's point of view because I'm a man and I'm the, uh, the husband, is when I get butt hurt, I tend to react a certain way which typically means I'm going to go out of my way not to do certain things or say certain things, which what does it do? It just compiles. And, and, and men, we are compartmentalized. I can put my feelings and what's happening, I can put it in a box and I can carry on with the rest of my day and just go do, and, and I can do work and be happy with everybody else and I get home and I'm like, mm, compartmentalized, put it back in the box and I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to treat you a certain way. I'm not going to say certain things because I'm mad at you. And then I can put it back in the box come 7 a.m. and I'll go back to work and I'm happy-go-lucky, Scott. I'm compartmentalizing. Women, you don't do that. Women, you compile. Whether you say, I've forgiven you, you haven't. You, and, and listen, I'm not, this is not me bagging on you. This is, not, this is what I've learned through 20 years of marriage with my wife and how we have made our marriage last even through the hardest of times is that there were times where hard questions where my wife said, I forgave you for that. And then we had issues and she brings it back up. And I said, I thought you forgave me for that. 
Well, yeah, but. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. What but is that? You said, you, uh, listen, that was put in the forgiveness compartment, and I forgot about it, and so you need to forget about it. And she goes, I can't. You did it. You, you, you did. So, I, so when you do something stupid again like that, guess what I'm going to do? It brings back up the emotions. And I go, but we've forgotten about it. She goes, I've forgotten about it as long as you've learned your lesson and don't go back doing stupid stuff. Now, listen, we're just built different. And so then we say, I'm the better, I'm the better, I'm the stronger, I'm the this. No, 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 listen, God says in marriage, we're equal. And if you don't treat your marriage equal, you will always have a transactional employee relationship with your spouse. Always. And the problem is, is that that cycle of everything's good until it's not, and then it becomes, when it's not, I'm going to withhold this, whatever that is. Physical touch, emotions, right? The five love languages, doing stuff around the house. That's how I know I can get my wife. I really want to be a jerk. I just won't do stuff around the house. I know my wife. That's what makes, like, she says, like, she goes, it's, she, and, and it's kind of, she goes, you're attractive to me, but your attractiveness is, is like doubled when you're, when you're treating us well and when you're taking care of things around the house without being asked. When you're, when you're loving on my kids, like, those are the things that just take you to a whole nother level of attraction. And what's the first thing I do when I don't feel taken care of or loved is I take away the things that make me attractive to her. How does that make any sense? But it's transactional. It's employee. I'm going to hurt her, but really all I'm doing is hurting myself. And so as husbands, we recognize that though we are given authority from God to run our families and to be the leaders of our household, We do it with an equal partnership with our wife. Men, if you are the CEO, the chief executive officer, she is your COO. She is your chief operating officer. You may may say, you may say, hey, here's here's the things that are non-negotiable as me as a a husband and father. And your wife says, okay, well, this is how we're going to do it, though. This is how we're going to make sure that it, it works for our family. It may, it, may be, it may look different than the way you, no, 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 we're going to discipline. We're, da, da, da. Okay, but this is how we're going to discipline so that the message gets across and the point gets across. If, if I'm the CEO, she's my CEO. We work together as partners. And the last part to you husbands before we wrap this up is that when your wife says, the, 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 the last thing that Peter says, and this is so good, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, the the crazy part is he doesn't tell that to the ladies. He says it to the men. Because as the men of the head of the household, you have a responsibility to make sure that your house is functioning on a spiritual level. And he says, listen, when, when you don't operate from a biblical mandate as a man and a father, your connection to me is hindered. He doesn't say that about a lot of things as far as our prayers being hindered. But as men, when we do not treat our wives the way that he mandates us, our prayer lives are hindered. 
Your prayers can be hindered uh, by how you treat your wife. The Bible only says that really about um, uh, one other thing, which is how we treat others. And it's funny, it's, it's, it's the connection point to people that will hinder our prayers to God because God is a relational God. And so uh, he says in the gospel, right, that if we have issues with our brother, that if we don't deal with it, that we need to lay our offering, our worship down, our, our offering to him down, and we need to go make that right. And then we can come back and we can make it right. And now Peter writes on top of that, men... In your household, if you are not treating your wives the way that I've asked you to, your prayers will be hindered. So how can you have a relationship with a loving God who has created your wife and be, have issues with her? Now, this isn't like, oh, my gosh, we had an issue and we, we, we talked it out. No, this is like a, a, you're, you're building a wall in your relationship. You're, you're making issue with your, with your household. This isn't like, oh, hey, we got in a little argument and we sat across each other from dinner and we just made faces. That, listen, life happens. You know, this is the, we, we sat across the dinner table, we made faces, and the next morning, I still didn't say anything, and I got up and I left the house. And then I came home and I did the same thing, and, and I created a circle of issues. But then I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to seek him and go, God, will you bless me? Oh, God, will you do this? No, no, no. God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Go get things right in your marriage so that your prayer life isn't hindered. Wives, husbands. And then you get to this back end of, of Peter 3. And he says, okay, all of you, all of us. In 1 Peter 3, 8, 9, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other. As brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. And this is what God, when I, when I was sitting down and I was thinking about this, this is what God spoke to me. He says, don't live as the culture lives. Don't repay the way the culture repays. Watch what you say and how you say it and pay back with blessings. Let, let me say that again. Don't live as the culture lives. In other words, well, it's okay because everybody, everybody else would have said that to him too. Everybody else would have done that to them too. Everybody else would have responded the same way. That's a good clue that I need to seek God and ask him, God, how would you want me to? Don't repay the way culture repays. Don't repay evil for evil. Watch what you say and how you say it, right? Don't re re retaliate with insults when people insult you. And I love what it says. Instead, pay them back with blessings. Pay them back with blessings. When somebody insults you, pay them back with blessings. God, I pray that you would bless their life. Doesn't that sound, that sounds so, listen, that is not an easy thing to do, by the way. Like, I can sit up here and preach this, but it is a whole other thing when you're in the middle of somebody's tearing you down or saying bad things or working, like, and they, and, and you're in the middle of it, and you remember that scripture, and you're like, bless them, Jesus. Bless them. It's hard. It's not easy. Listen, following Jesus is not easy. So when, when somebody starts to insult you or attack you, then you come back and you say, God, I don't know what's going on in their life, but I ask blessing over them. God, maybe they're struggling somewhere that they're not showing anybody else. God, bless them. Open up their eyes to your truth. Challenge, encourage, equip, change them some way, God, but I ask that your hand would be upon them. Because he says when you do that, when you put, when we live God first, God character, God values, his blessing will follow us. At the very end of Peter, 
he says something that was so powerful to me. I could have really made it a whole message, but I just made it a little blip, and I hope you get what I'm trying to give you this morning. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16 says this. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. And when I read that, I was like, man, that's so good. Don't be afraid of the consequences of man when living in God's purpose. We could read a thousand books of how to be a better person, how to have a better marriage, how to, how to deal with people better. And I tell you, when, and, and, and none of those books are bad, by the way. There's a lot of great even Christian books on how to, how to work through those things. But there's something about grabbing the Bible and just looking up, and this is one of the challenges that, that God gave me when I was 21 years old, um, first, a full-time youth pastor, first time, first year into it. And he says, I want you to focus on me more. Read back through the Gospels. Read back through and, and, and read where, how I interacted with people. Read back through when I interacted when people said mean things to me. Read back through and how I, how I handled people. And it was such an encouraging thing. I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And, and just stopped every single time that Jesus interacted with somebody, and, and whether it was a good moment or a, or a struggle moment, and just, and just looking at how Jesus handled things. And when he did that, what the, the, the end result was, and he didn't care what everybody else said, he just lived and, and carried out the purpose of God. And Peter writes this in that last little blip. He says, worship Christ as the Lord of your life. When our life is from an attitude of worship, not just a song, but worship is, is giving God worth. God, this day is, is, is worthy of your goodness and worthy of your character being lived out in my life. And then he says this. Tell the truth with humility and respect. It's not just for the preacher, the guy on the microphone, or one, uh, you know, one day out of the week to talk about the truth of God, but, but to speak God's truth. And, 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 and specifically what Peter writes is this. He says, he says, if somebody asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. We are to carry the gospel with us everywhere we go. And, and, I, and I make light of it and I joke about it, you know, not beating the door down like SWAT team, you know, with the, with the, hope, with the truth of God. But just, it, says, it doesn't even say go around just doing it. It says when people ask, and they will, what's, why are you so different? They may not ask specifically, hey, so what's the gospel about? They're not going to ask that, by the way. But they may say, how come you started doing this? You've been my friend for a long time, Gerald, and I noticed that you started saying this. Instead of that. For me, it was cussing when I was a high schooler, when I got saved. They said, I noticed you haven't cussed in a while. That's an open door to say, yeah, there's a reason why, because something came in and changed my life and gave me a reason to speak in a different way, in a different manner. And it says to do it in a humble and respectful way to keep your conscience clear. 
Tell God's truth. But you don't have to beat other people up to give God's glory. You don't have to tear people down to, to point people to Jesus. All you have to do is point people to Jesus because he will do the rest of the cleaning. And, and we don't have a, a piano player today. Uh, will you throw, Eric's already got me. Um, I know Peter's all over the place in this chapter. He starts with the husbands and wives, and then he goes to everybody's relationship, and then he ends with this call of, tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story in, in a truthful way, in a humble and respectful way, that it draws people to the goodness of God. Not, not you, not a church, to the goodness of God. So I want to end this by, by praying those three points. I want to pray for our marriages here at Freedom. That God strengthens them. That God would correct and guide husbands and wives if we need. And listen, we all need a little bit of it. Maybe there's something that, that you're walking through and you're like, man, you know what? As, a, as the husband of the house, I, I can still. Listen, can I tell you this? It doesn't matter how old or how, how long you've been married. You, there's still things that you can learn. And there's still things that you can enact in your marriage that can make the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of marriage even better. There are. Don't, don't sit back and go, oh, well, I can never change because I've been doing it this way for 15 years or 20-something years or 30, 40-something years. Because what if the best marriage years ahead are just waiting for one little change? waiting for you to say, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I made a promise to myself. The last major conversation me and Stephanie had that uh, of our marriage, I said, you know what? I will not hold back I love yous because I'm mad. That's what I would do, by the way. I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. And I knew I'm a jerk, like, but I would. Like, ask my wife. There was a two-month process in, in, in our marriage back before even Zion was born. I didn't say two words to my wife almost every single day, let alone I love you. I was mad. I was an idiot. But we learn. We let God, God convict us, and it strengthens. And if we don't learn, then that's why 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. Because we're not willing to heed the Bible. We're, we would rather do what culture does. So I want to pray for our marriages. I want to pray that, that all believers, we, we in, interact with people in our lives the way that First Peter 3 talks us. To not retaliate evil for evil. Not to do what culture does. But to bless those around us. And lastly, that we would speak our truth our truth of what God has done to share our hope and our story. Father, I pray those three things. I pray for our marriages. Every marriage that is, that is here at Freedom Church, God, I pray that your hand would be upon them. God, I do pray blessing, but God, I only pray blessing for the marriages that are really willing to work at it. Because God, you cannot bless what they're not willing to give to you in the first place. You can't bless what people are not giving as an offering and a sacrifice. My marriage is not just for me and my wife. It is for your glory, God. And so I pray that that is the heart behind every marriage, that, God, we want to honor you with how we treat our spouse, how we run our house to the glory of our God. 
the God that we would interact as Christians with people, God. I, I believe that there are many of us in this room that uh, we have used uh, culture and emotion to, to, to disengage and to hurt people on an emotional or friend level or any other level because we were mad at a circumstance or we didn't like how things got handled. And instead of talking it out, instead of blessing, instead of praying, instead of seeking your will, Father, God, we just, we just do, do what everybody else does. And so God, help us to do what First Peter 3 said. God, we won't retaliate evil for evil. We won't hurt people the way that other people hurt, but we will bless them. We will pray for them. We will seek your will in relationships with people. And lastly, God, I pray that we would just, we would live our story out. And that God, when the opportunities and the avenues come to speak of hope and to speak of goodness and to speak of your purpose in our lives and what you've done, that God, that we would take it. But we would do it in a humble and respectful way. That Father, we would seek your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would tell of the goodness of the God that has saved our lives. God, I pray that this week we would bless you more than anything. We would honor you more than anything. And that next week when we come back together on a Sunday, God, we would worship you with a heart that is full of praise. Knowing that we've done all that we can. Not being perfect, but striving to be in the will of God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We, we, we bless your name today. And pray a great week ahead. God, I thank you for those that financially give to your house. It's not my house. It's not the house that we built. It's the house that you built, God. We thank you for that. And we thank you for those that are financially good stewards of your, your will here, that we would be able to go and make a difference in the, in the king, for the kingdom in our community. We thank you for this. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 